BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, for the first time in U.S. history, a former president has been charged with a crime. And while the specific charges are not yet known, the grand jury that voted to indict Donald J. Trump had been hearing evidence about hush money payments to an adult film star during his 2016 campaign. Trump is expected to surrender to authorities Tuesday. Listeners, how are you feeling about the indictment? What are your questions? What impact do you think this indictment will have? Tell us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Email forum at kqbd.org. We want to hear from you after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Prominent Republicans rallied quickly to defend Donald Trump against a grand jury indictment including the Speaker, California's Kevin McCarthy, who tweeted that Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg weaponized our sacred system of justice against the ex-president and that the House would hold Bragg's abuse of power to account. And while Governor Newsom did not immediately comment on the indictment, choosing instead to tout his new campaign for democracy against lawless Republicans, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made clear he would not extradite Trump if requested, even though it is the law, We hear now from a California Democrat who has some experience trying to hold Trump to account, Congressmember Adam Schiff, who managed the first impeachment case against him and was on the January 6th committee investigating the Capitol attack. Welcome to Forum, Congressmember. Thank you. Good to be with you. What was your immediate reaction when news of the indictment broke? Uh, that this is an affirmation of the, uh, you know, the bedrock principle that no one should be above the law, that the law has to apply equally uh, and to everyone, the rich and the powerful, as well as ordinary citizens. Uh, if a grand jury of citizens in New York believed that Donald Trump committed various criminal offenses uh, and the Manhattan District Attorney believed that they could prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, I think they're obligated to go forward uh, and not give him a pass because of his past position or future position. So I think it's an affirmation of the rule of law uh, and a very important one. You have long talked about the need to hold Donald Trump accountable for offenses that you believe he committed or may have committed. How does it feel to you that what he is being charged for is related to payments to, to cover up an alleged affair with an adult film star? Well, I wish the Justice Department had moved with a greater sense of urgency uh, and uh, 
if it found, as we did on the January 6th committee, uh, a basis for criminal charges against the former president, those would have been the most serious charges. And in an ideal world, you go forward with the most serious uh, case first. But the Justice Department uh, waited so long, I think, to begin investigating anyone but the foot soldiers uh, that that investigation has been much prolonged. Uh, and so the Manhattan District Attorney went forward with the evidence when they had it. I think that's the role of a district attorney. Uh, these aren't uh, coordinated prosecutions. Uh, but I do think it's uh, concerning that the Justice Department has taken as long as it has. It's more than two years since the events of that day, and this investigation still has not concluded. Hmm. As someone who has attempted to hold the ex-president to account, what can you tell us about what Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg now faces, whether it be in terms of the scrutiny on him or even there have been concerns about his safety? Well, I think he can expect, uh, sadly, what we saw in Congress, uh, what we experienced in Congress, uh, and that will be relentless attacks by the former president, uh, attacks that will encourage uh, threats of violence, if not actual acts of violence. Uh, Trump suggesting that if he were to be indicted, as he now apparently has, uh, that death and destruction uh, may follow. Uh, This is the kind of thing that Trump says that some of his followers uh, take quite literally, and uh, and to dangerous effect, as we saw on January 6th. Uh, so, you know, I think that Alvin Bragg's life is about to be turned upside down. Uh, we're going to have to make every effort, we as a society, to uh, protect the jurors that will ultimately sit on this case. Uh, and, you know, tragically, people in responsible positions of power right now, like the Florida governor, like the Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, like Jim Jordan, the the head of the Judiciary Committee that is supposed to be protecting the interests of justice are instead trying to subvert it. Uh, They're acting as the kind of criminal defense firm for Donald Trump. Uh, And this just further endangers the rule of law in this country. Were you surprised at how quickly your Republican colleagues denounced this indictment as politically motivated as an outrage before seeing the charges? No, you know, I might have been surprised uh, five years ago, um, but the the precipitous decline of the Republican Party from a party that once prided itself on being for law and order um, now has degenerated into kind of a cult around the former president. Uh, They're not interested in seeing the evidence. Um, They're interested in only how they can uh, subvert justice, protect their party leader, Uh, show their fealty to his base. Uh, And, you know, if you look at what Ron DeSantis put out uh, within hours of this, uh, also play on, uh, in the case of dragging George Soros into this somehow, play on these anti-Semitic tropes that this is some vast Jewish-funded conspiracy. Uh, Apparently, what you need to do to get ahead in the Trumpist Republican Party is attack the rule of law, uh, attack the justice system, Uh, defend Donald Trump at all costs, uh, and blow the whistles of bigotry. And they are managing to do that within the space of about 24 hours. You mentioned death and destruction before Trump was indicted. His sort of, in his way, both warning of it and in in some ways inviting it as well. And I know that there are echoes of January 6th in that as well. What do you think is important for the country to remember as— we watch this unfold. I think it's important to remember that 
yes, the indictment and subsequent arrest of a uh, former president, of a candidate for president, uh, is a deeply troubling chapter in our history. It will undoubtedly provoke division. But what would be more dangerous would be the idea that presidents are above the law now, that you can get away with anything uh, as long as you can hold high office. That would be far more destructive of the country, both the present and the future. Uh, So this is a, a sad chapter, but it's also a necessary one. There has to be accountability. And in the particulars of Donald Trump, Uh, What we have seen is every time he escapes accountability, he goes on to do worse. When he escaped accountability accountability for his Russian misconduct, it led to worse with Ukraine. When he escaped accountability for that, it led to literally a violent, massive attack on the seat of our government. Um, And should he be given access to power again, uh, he will pick up where he left off. And uh, and this is who he is. Uh, This is the price of of, uh, a system in which... So far, uh, this powerful person has escaped accountability, and uh, we need to be very aware of that and and the need to hold him accountable like, like everyone else. Congressman Adam Schiff, thank you for your time. Thank you. Los Angeles Congressmember Adam Schiff, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, member of the Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. You, are listeners, what are your reactions to the indictment? How are you feeling about it? What questions do you have about it? You can call 866-733-6786, email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. I'd like to bring into the conversation now Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent for USA Today. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. So we don't know the specific charges against Trump yet, but we do know what the New York grand jury was investigating, what the Manhattan office was investigating. Can you just tell us, remind us what they were looking at? Well, yeah, again, we think that they're looking at a variety of charges. Uh, They've been investigating for quite some time now. The main charges focus on uh, um, uh, adult film actress uh, Stormy Daniels, um, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, and hush money payments that were paid to her about it was one hundred and thirty thousand dollars right before the 2016 election. And so, you know, one of the big things that they're trying to uh, figure out over there at the DA's office is is that clearly they believe that there was a misdemeanor charge of falsifying business records in order to facilitate that payment to her. But the big issue is whether that turns into a felony if that commission of that uh, misdemeanor crime was done in connection with something else like election uh, election fraud. So um, I think that's the that's what they're trying to do is see if the payments were made um, in order to uh, influence the election and help Trump win the election in 2016. Uh, we also are reporting um, at this moment, I think we're just finishing up the story, uh, that they are also looking at the payments, the hush money payments to um, Karen McDougal, who is the mm-hmm. former Playboy playmate of the year and whether she was given hush money payments too uh, that were in violation of the law. Yes. Uh, and we can get into some of the, the legal questions a little more after the break. I, as we have reported here that the arraignment is expected Tuesday. Um, are you hearing anything about whether we will see the charges before Tuesday? Nope. <laughs> we're all waiting with bated breath and we're, right. on call, we're on call all weekend. But, um, you know, we don't know. I mean, we don't even know when the charges were filed. We have reason to believe that they were filed, that the grand jury voted, handed up the indictment to a judge, 
yesterday afternoon at the end of their session. Uh, but, you know, these things are sealed. There's a slight possibility that it was filed even before that. Right. Uh, we don't know when the charges are going to be unveiled. I think it's pretty safe to say that they have to be unveiled um, on Tuesday when he's arraigned. But, you know, until then, we just really don't know. And there's a lot of speculation out there. Uh, we believe it's 35 or so counts in the indictment, but that could be for individual payments. Um, so there's a lot of speculation out there, and we're trying to figure out really what what what's tr- what's true and, and what isn't. Well, listener Sharon tweets, I'm very pleased he's finally been indicted in Sharon's view, but I'm also very concerned about the violent reaction he asks from his cult followers. Josh, you covered domestic security. What are you hearing around all that? Do you have a sense of how the base is reacting, especially the most more extreme no. members of it? Yeah, I mean, we have we have a huge staff here at USA Today that's following this. And we also have 265 other Gannett papers around the country and we're all working together on this. And we're not hearing a lot yet about this. I mean, we're looking at social media. We're looking at uh, Truth Social, of course, which is Trump's platform. Uh, we're just getting out into you know the streets and communities and seeing what's happening, calling local police departments. We're not seeing much yet. And one thing that's worth noting, I think, um, you know, is that um, you know Trump, when he first thought he was going to be indicted, said that basically this could potentially cause death and destruction because it's so unfair. He was much more muted, at least in terms of calling for protests and so forth in his um, Truth Social posts yesterday and today, but he's still rolling those out. So we're watching those to see what he's saying about it. But so far, uh, no no signs of violence. Uh, we're watching to see if people will start moving into New York City and other places. Uh, the New York Police Department, the Secret Service, uh, and other authorities are making preparations for this. I believe they've been doing that for more than a week. So I think they're ready to go and ready for anything that happens. We're talking about the indictment of former President Donald Trump with Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent of USA Today. We'll get into the legal and political implications of this after the break. Stay with us, listeners. You are listening to Forum, and we want to hear from you. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. Hi, Mina Kim. For the first time in U.S. history, a former president has been charged with a crime. And we're getting your thoughts and reactions and getting the thoughts and reactions of Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent at USA Today. Also with us now is Lori Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Law School, where she teaches courses on criminal procedure and white collar crime. Lori, so glad to have you on. It's a pleasure being with you. 
Mike Madrid is also with us, Republican strategist and political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab, also co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Mike, really appreciate you being here as well. Great to be here with you. You, our listeners, if you want to share your reactions, questions about the indictment, what impact do you think it will have on the country, even what justice or accountability with regards to Trump, what that would look like for you, you can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, calling 866-733-6786, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And Robert writes, front and center in this discussion should be the ex-president's open threat of death and destruction and figures like Tucker Carlson advising probably not the best time to give up your AR-15. These are not idle threats, but rather direct appeals to the same people who attacked our system of government and police officers on January 6th. Mike, I I did not hear Tucker Carlson say this, but if if that is what's being aired on a major news channel, a news station, um, that combined with what we have been hearing about DeSantis and other Republicans, establishment Republicans, or considered more establishment Republicans rallying to the president's side, what do you make of all of this, Mike? I'm just so curious to get your reaction to these reactions. Well, we have to be mindful that this is not uh, necessarily new, these subtle calls for violence have been escalating uh, since Trump took office and understanding that the base of the Republican Party has become anti-institutional, basically countercultural, is really central to understanding how these calls for violence um, not only have come to be, but are likely to increase in the coming years. So we we need to be mindful. This is this is very serious. It is happening uh, and, and, and be vigilant. But at the same time, uh, we need to be very aggressive in tamping this down and making sure that these these not so subtle calls for violent action, calls for uh, oftentimes revolutionary or seditious behavior, are treated the way that uh, they they should be. Uh, if we don't, if we if we continue to sit back and try to understand where it's coming from, uh, the threat becomes more real. It becomes more pernicious, and it becomes more problematic. Let me go to caller Kyle in San Jose. Hi, Kyle. You're on. Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. And, you know, I just wanted to, you know, as I don't want to be politically biased here. I'm, I'm a Democrat, but I just think, you know, if it really is campaign finance laws that are the the primary uh, charge for, for this indictment, I just think, is this really an equitable uh is this law being applied like equitable you know because Mm -hmm. i think if we were to look at most democrats and republicans over the last decade or so how many if they were to be audited how 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 many of them would actually be in a similar plight right and also just i'm not sure what even is the the penalty if he is convicted is it really worth um, you know, driving this country further apart from each other, right? This mm. is just stirring up hate on both sides. And I just think, you know, is it is it really worth it? I mean, if it's really just about making sure Donald Trump isn't the president again, um, is this the best way to go about it? I mean, yeah, that's, Kyle, that's really how. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Let me put your thoughts to Lori Levinson, actually, because this is a question that has come up. Again, we're seeing reporting that, There are more than 30 
potential charges in this indictment. But there are a lot of questions about how paying money potentially to a to, to someone to keep quiet about an affair, which I should say that Trump denies, goes from being a misdemeanor to a felony. Like the seriousness of this, uh, Kyle is worried about whether or not this really rises, I guess, to the level of something that you'd indict a former president for, Lori. Well, I think Kyle raises really important questions, but we can't forget that the real focus here is on falsifying business records and that these charges come on the heels of other charges against other people in the Trump organization who have been convicted of similar offenses, tax fraud and the like. I think when we see the charges, what we'll be looking for is whether it's just paying off a porn star. And I understand why many people would say, really, you're going to bring a felony charge on that, or whether it involves a course of conduct, false conduct, intent to defraud, whether it's concealing other criminal offenses, whether it involves tax offenses. Uh, The New York office has been looking at Trump and his organization for many years. And the real concern is that, is he, as Representative Schiff said, above the law that he's never accountable for any falsehoods that he puts into play. You know, I also heard Kyle ask, well, what are the consequences of this? First of all, even a conviction here will not disqualify Trump from running for president again. So that wouldn't be the motivation. And I don't think he would go to prison, although a possible sentence on the felony is up to four years in prison. I really think that they're doing it for the principle that, in fact, there has been, we think, testimony before the grand jury that Trump, with impunity, was making up his own rules and lying, and that there are consequences for that. Let me go to caller Alex in Mountain View. Hi, Alex. You're on. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say that I share the opinion of the editors of The Economist. Uh, Yesterday, after the indictment, the editors uh, published uh, a multi-paragraph uh, assessment of the indictment, and they said that the case is weak, and that Alvin Bragg should not have brought the should not have pursued the case. And they said that that so I'm summarizing. They said it would not lead to anything particularly useful for the nation. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Alex. I don't know that I've heard weak, Lori, but I've definitely heard novel. <laughs> Why is it being called novel? Well, first of all, once again, it's remarkable that people are attacking the case without actually seeing the indictment. But I do think that what we think might be some novel issues here are that it would ordinarily be a misdemeanor to falsify business records. But if it's done in furtherance of a different crime, then it becomes a felony. And what's being mentioned are federal campaign laws. So what is novel here is using the New York law to go after, in part, a federal crime. And I think that would be subject to some legal motions before the court. Well, there's this no rights. If DeSantis defies the Constitution and refuses to extradite, hopefully unnecessary, how would the law be enforced? Lori? Well, first of all, I think the great likelihood is that Trump, with the Secret Service by his side and his lawyers, will self-surrender because it's not a good look for Trump to try to hide out in Mar-a-Lago for the rest of the campaign when he's seeking to be president. He has said that he's going to vigorously defend against these charges, and to do so, he has to show up. If he chose not to, then he would be 
pushing them to seek an arrest warrant. And DeSantis says he won't enforce it, but I don't think that that's the end of the story. It may make Trump a hostage in Florida, which he wouldn't want to be. And DeSantis, even though he's the governor, this would initially, of course, go through the court system and the applicable laws there. Mike, I do just want to ask you what you thought of DeSantis kind of getting out in front of that, because it did not come, it's, you know, it's not a bridge he has to cross at this moment by putting out there very quickly that he would not assist in an extradition request. Why? What benefit would, does, is that to Ron DeSantis? I'm not sure that there is one. My sense of the Ron DeSantis campaign is that it's flailing before it's even started. It's so difficult to 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 capture some sort of a narrative uh, as an alternative to Trump when the party is is so consumed and, and frankly so supportive of the former president. Uh, it, it's extraordinarily difficult to carve out any sort of viable lane, and that's what we're watching. That's what we're seeing. He's He's got this Goldilocks strategy. It's either too hot or too cold, and he, he can't co- seem to find the right temperature for a message here. And um, I, I look, I think that Ron DeSantis, uh, his levels of support show that he's probably become more of a vessel of this, you know, hope for Republicans to choose an alternative to Trump than actually having a strong, viable base of support. And so when the focus of media attention and the and the country's attention rightfully is on the, the former president, there's really not much that can be said. And and the, the sucking out of the oxygen of the room is very detrimental to an insurgent campaign like like DeSantis's. Um, as bad as this week is going to be for Donald Trump legally, um, it's going to be a worse week for Ron DeSantis politically. Well, Josh Meyer, I do just want to ask you quickly with the point that Lori Levinson was making earlier that Trump, in terms of being aware of what would be a bad look and a good look, would self-surrender so that he doesn't have the worst week, as uh, Mike Madrid was saying. Um, Can you just quickly tell us how things will be orchestrated um, once he self-surrenders, as he is expected to, given the fact that he, he was this nation's president? Um, Right. (laughs) So, yeah, we are trying to look at all of this through that prism, which is that um, as with with Trump so many times in the past, you really can't look at at uh, previous policies and laws, institutions or norms uh, to figure out what's going to happen. I mean, you know, he uh, I've been on the phone all morning with former D.A. officials and law enforcement officials about the arraignment process, what's going to happen um, the courthouse in New York has uh, various sally ports where they could bring him in, um, you know, and uh, almost do it underground and just usher him in, uh, get the arraignment done and usher him out. And all you'd see is a black limousine, you know, uh, one of the the beasts, you know, the former, you know, the presidential limos or whatever he's using these days. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm betting that Trump is going to create some sort of a spectacle about this. Um, I talked to uh, Karen uh, Agfanilo, who is the um, uh, Agnafilo, excuse me who is the number two in the DA's office until recently. And she thinks that he's going to do what she calls a a self perp walk, um, which is parading in front of the media and the cameras and all of that um, and entering the courthouse that way and creating a spectacle. I'm not sure what that's going to, you know, what that's going to do in this case, but I do know that the police are going to be on standby for this, but because he is the former president, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. They could do an arraignment by zoom. They could bring him into a local courthouse 
um, in Florida under some kind of arrangement between states. I mean, we, we don't know what they're going to try to do here. Um, and we don't know if Trump is going to um, ignore what his lawyers are saying and not uh, self-surrender. I think one thing that's worth noting is that, um, you know, it, it's not a question of whether he wants to hide out in Mar-a-Lago if Governor DeSantis does not want to um, cooperate with the extradition request. I mean, if he's going to be campaigning around the country, you might have this spectacle of a former president and a presidential candidate who is a fugitive from justice in one state, uh, which means the other states, um, you know, could conceivably have a duty to arrest him on that warrant. So, mm. you know, we're just sort of strapping in and, and waiting to see what happens next. One thing that I would add quickly, though, in terms of the misdemeanor and turning it into a felony is I think what's important here and what the DA is looking at and the grand jury, which, again, is is civilians and citizens who are hearing the evidence, is that all of this was done right before the election. So it's not just a matter of falsifying business records and paying somebody off. It's doing it because he knows that if he did it, if it came out, if the news came out before the election, it could conceivably kill his chances of winning. Because remember, he was a very serious underdog even up to the day of the election. So, you know, he had reason to believe that by keeping this under the rug, allegedly, that he uh, had a chance of winning the election. So it could have it could have influenced, you know, the you know, it, who knows if that news had broken before the election, Hillary Clinton might have been president for four years. We just don't know. Again, we have Josh Meyer with us, domestic security correspondent for USA Today, Lori Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, Mike Madrid, Republican strategist and political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab. And you, our listeners, talking about the indictment of former President Donald Trump. Lori Levinson, if things do go typically, though, there would be fingerprinting, a lot of paperwork, and maybe even a mugshot? Absolutely. The process would be basically the booking process, where someone comes in, they have a mugshot taken. I'm sure that will be sort of leaked in a very short order. Uh, Fingerprinting and then questions for the booking process. I wouldn't expect that the former president would be detained unless, of course, he does one of these unpredictable things that Josh Meyer was describing, and then he might find himself waiting in a cell um, uh, as this case goes on, which is, I think, another reason why he will surrender, even if he makes a spectacle of it. Um, once he's processed, he appears before a judge for what we call an arraignment. He's given a copy of the charges. They make sure he has a lawyer. They deal with any issues of whether there have to be conditions on his release uh, to make sure that maybe he's not traveling or whatever that question is. And then they set the timetable for the proceedings and advise him of his rights. That's done every day in courthouses across the country. There's nothing particularly remarkable about it, but it's an important part of the process. It starts the trial process. Yeah. And the trial could last, or to get there could last. (laughs) Yeah. um, I've been asked this question about how long before we would actually see a trial. It's impossible to know because I am sure that Trump's lawyers are very busy coming up with every possible motion they can. Motion to dismiss, motion to change the venue, motions just to put out things that they want the public to read. And we don't know how long that will be in the pretrial process with discovery and the like. We're certainly talking months, not weeks, and we could even go beyond that. There was a point being made, I think it was by Neil Katyal, the attorney, that uh, since this is a state case, 
if he should be convicted, he wouldn't be pardoned, right? He can still run, as you say, uh, from jail, but he couldn't be pardoned by a future president. That's right. In fact, he can't be pardoned because the president has the power to pardon on federal offenses. It's the governor of New York who has the power to pardon on a state offense. So, um, and it, so it doesn't matter. And I think that they're trying to point the finger a lot at Joe Biden, but Biden doesn't have a role in this case. And there hasn't been, as far as we know, coordination between this case and the several other investigations that Trump is facing. This may be the first one out of the block, but I don't know that it'll be the only charges that former President Trump faces. Well, this listener writes, is it not a crime to call for death and destruction? Your thoughts on that, Lori, but also just on how Trump will likely need to behave around this just so that he doesn't further hurt his case in terms of how he communicates? Right. Well, it's certainly irresponsible, no question, to call for death and destruction, especially after January 6th, when we saw that there are people out there that take those words to heart and they hurt people. Um, In terms of whether it's illegal, you have a trickier issue because there's the constitutional First Amendment right. And they'd have to show that these words, although, you know, not just irresponsible, cause an imminent threat. That's part of what's being investigated by the January 6th investigation. But Trump kind of knows that he can fire up his troops and he's not really going to be facing any criminal consequences, any insurrection challenges for doing so. Again, we're talking with Lori Levinson, professor of law, Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent of USA Today, and Mike Mike Madrid, Republican strategist and political consultant here in California. And we're hearing from you, our listeners. How are you processing the indictment of Donald Trump? What would justice or accountability look like to you? What impact do you think that this will have on the country? What are your questions about how this will play out legally or politically? We're hearing it all, 866-733-6786 at the email address, forum at kqed.org, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, and we'll be back right after this break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're getting your reactions to the indictment of former President Donald Trump. And let me go to Ben in Sacramento. Thanks, Ben, for waiting. What's on your mind? 
Well, it's my understanding that the district attorney recommends an indictment and the grand jury approves it. And their citizens, I think there's 20 uh, citizens of New York on the grand jury. Uh, why doesn't the Republicans direct their invective to the grand jury rather than to personify it against uh, the district attorney mm. brand? Ben, so, thanks. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take the it's a good question. And Mike Madrid, I'd love to hear you. This has been remarkably consistent among Trump's defenders that they're really uh, targeting D.A. Alvin Bragg. Wow. Yeah, the, the answer is really simple. It's a political narrative that they're trying to set. It's much easier to attack somebody uh, who's uh, an elected official. And, you know, the, 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 the trope that's being used is that he's a Soros, quote, Soros-backed candidate. Hmm. Uh, one of the most significant progressive donors in the Democratic Party to frame this as a political witch hunt. That's the whole attempt by the Trump campaign is to make this and frame this as uh, this is a political act. It's not about the law. It's about trying to silence uh, Donald Trump's voice. And you can't do that by attacking a grand jury. You do that by attacking an elected official. And that's what they're trying to accomplish here. Well, Patricia writes, is there any Republican who can and will stand up and say this indictment is wrong, but it must adhere to the rules of the Justice Department? He is innocent until proven guilty and let the courts prove their case. That is how the law works. The fact that none of the Republicans will stand up for the law is the most disturbing aspect of the Trump phenomenon. Mike Madrid, I don't know that none will. I have heard some Republicans saying that, for example, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, for example, saying words to that effect, I would say. Um, but I do want to ask you about what you're hearing among California Republicans, because I'll be honest, I have been, my producer has, we've been scouring, especially congressional California Republicans for their reaction to the indictment. And am I wrong in in my very, you know, light reporting that I've done of this, that they are very quiet? Yeah, not only are they quiet, but you have to remember that the demographic in California uh, amongst Republicans is virtually identical to the demographic for Republicans nationwide. So I think there's a lot of people who think that maybe Republicans in California are a little bit more moderate, a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more, uh, a little, little bit less crazy. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is there's no difference between the Republicans here in California than any other part of the country. And so this silence, this deafening silence that you're hearing is this complicitness. It's, it's tacit support for what the president is doing. Now, in the conversations I've been having with them over the years, even during the impeachment hearings, they're all well aware that the president is not only uh, behaving in, in a manner that is damaging to the party, but in all likelihood, it's illegal. They, they, there's, there's very little debate about that in private conversations. Now, publicly, uh, the cowardice is, is kind of striking. It's, it's this enabling behavior that has allowed this type of activity to continue to, to drag the country through this torturous process. And that's the real, I think, shameful part of this episode that we're walking through in American history at this moment in time is this just the inability of, of even a handful of current elected officials, Republican elected officials, to stand up and make those claims. Now, Asa Hutchinson, I'm, I'm glad he's finally come on board, but He's no longer an office holder. And we saw what happened to the Liz Cheney's of the world, the Adam Kinzinger's of the world, is any Republican elected official who stands up to tell the truth will lose their office. They will be unelected. 
And that's the, you know, for me, that's an easy price to pay to, to preserve and protect your country and the Constitution. But for too many politicians, uh, that's just a line a little bit too far. But you did say earlier that you felt like this was a worse week for, for DeSantis and, it w- and then it will be for Trump uh, or something along those lines. And there are people who are saying that uh, this indictment is a gift to Trump because it will galvanize his existing supporters and maybe draw more to the fold. Do you think that's true? Or at least do you think that's true here in California? I think it's absolutely true nationwide. That's that's exactly why. And again, I, I, I'm certainly not, you know, you've got great legal minds here on the phone that can talk about the legal implications. I'm not suggesting it's a good time for Donald Trump legally, but politically, this is going to create a rally around the flag effect for him. That's the first thing. And so the base is going to start uh, lining up in support against him. This fits right into the narrative that he is under attack while he's been fighting to protect them. This is the deep state and Antifa and George Soros and the Communist Party or whoever the boogeyman is at this given moment in time. And this will galvanize the Republican base behind him. That's the first. The second is as long as the media attention is entirely focused on Donald Trump, there's no oxygen in the room for an insurgent campaign like DeSantis to gather any momentum. And those are both very dangerous, precarious places for a nascent campaign like DeSantis's uh, to be in. And once, once Trump is again in the limelight, you will start to see the partisan foxhole starts to take shape again, and Republicans will start moving into his direction. Um, I think that there is a longer way to go than he, um, than, you know, in, in terms of building and coalescing Republican support than he's found himself over the course of the past eight or nine years. But remember, the numbers, his support level numbers are really not dissimilar to where he found himself in 2016 as he was heading into the primary. His, his numbers are virtually identical and they have not moved since that time frame. And the likelihood of the vast majority of Republican voters who have would like to see him like to see us go into a post-Trump Republican Party or are on the fence about him or are uncomfortable with him, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority will fall into line as partisans and come back and support uh, Donald Trump. Well, there are a couple of other comments we're getting. Bill writes, Donald Trump has broken endless laws over the years. I think it would have been wiser to have let the blatant Georgia election tampering charge and January 6th occur first. Allen writes, I was thrilled that Trump finally got indicted for some of his many crimes. I just wish the federal government had been first and had indicted him for treason and had done it many months ago. Josh Meyer, do you want to just give us a quick overview of the other cases against that are being investigated against Trump right now? Sure. How much time do we have? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. not a ton. <laughs> I mean, all, all kidding aside, it's very, I mean, I think we're, you know, you have to take the long view here. And, you know, this is the first case I'm, I'm sources say, and it seems very likely that he will be indicted in Georgia, along with other people for, um, you know, some very serious election charges, not only, you know, calling down there and saying, find 11,000 votes for me so we can win the state of Georgia, but also putting forth a fake slate of electors and essentially subverting the will of the people and trying to have those electors uh, basically approved by Congress, not just in Georgia, but in other states uh, to help Trump do an end around around, you know, the the will of the people and, and stay in office in 2020 um, after he'd been voted out. So I think that's one case. You also have the national security, uh, very serious national security case of the classified documents that he uh, took from our, uh, from the White House and brought to Mar-a-Lago. Remember, he kept um, changing his response to that at one point. He said, well, I think the president can 
declassify those documents in his head without even really thinking about it, which is absurd. So there's some serious charges there that he could face. You also have, of course, the special prosecutor now, Jack Smith, who has been very, very aggressive in terms of making up for the law from the Justice Department in really aggressively investigating uh, the January 6th uh, insurrection, what led to it, what role Trump might have played in that, um, and people around Trump. So he is facing some legal jeopardy on a wide array of fronts. There's other ones as well. Um, and I think there's going to be a point where, um, you know, even if this is the case that's first, you're going to be seeing uh, these cases move through the system, at least one or two cases uh, simultaneously. And I think the outrage over which case went first might might diminish at some point. But, you know, um, I'm just a reporter. I just mm-hmm. write about what what's well, happening and try to put it in historical context. But, you know, it, it, this is an amazing moment in time where you have a president who for the first time has been indicted and, and for the rest of his life, he will be known at least to some as as the first pre- and only president to, to be indicted on criminal charges. Yeah. Well, Mike writes, I don't quite understand the emphasis on Trump being the first president or ex-president in history to be indicted, perhaps because he's the first president or ex-president to have allegedly committed indictable crimes. Um, Laurie Levinson, I I guess I do want to ask on a more philosophical level, is there something that's been broken open by the fact that a U.S. president has now been, for the first time, charged with a crime? And I don't necessarily mean legally, though maybe it is. Maybe it is a a little easier for prosecutors to be the second. um, And maybe we could see more things like that. But I am just curious what you think of it. Well, it's very interesting because I think it's both philosophical and very concrete. You know, when we talk about the grand jury, it's 23 citizens. Those are people, not politicians, but people. And certainly the prosecutor is presenting the evidence and even typing up the indictment. But you at least have the citizens having a say in this. I think philosophically, our country fell into the idea that, well, it'll just be like Nixon again. We'll get him out of there and everything will be okay. Just pardon him and make him go away. The problem with approaching issues like that is that Trump is not Nixon. And this nation is so polarized right now that perhaps the only thing we can turn to is what our laws say. Uh, And that's a problem if you don't have Republicans sort of saying, let's follow the law. Uh, I think that's the more serious concern here than the individual charges. It's a question of whether we will rely on our legal system rather than our political system to sort these situations out. Well, Gene writes, something I heard from an analyst recently is that it would be a complete political move not to pursue charges on Trump. And that's because so much evidence leads to him committing a crime. So maybe people should look at it from that angle. Lori, is there a chance that while this is the first case, that it wouldn't be the first case to go to trial because of the current election interference in Georgia investigation or the investigation into his handling of classified documents at the federal level or or even instigating January 6th? There's some possibility, but it's really premature right now to figure that out. We don't know what these charges are. We don't know about Georgia. I do expect that Georgia will likely have charges. That was the recommendation of the grand jury. We're all familiar with what the foreperson said in the interviews. But in terms of the trial, we usually take them in order. But we Mm -hmm. don't know what the specific objections and issues will be here. And so we'll have to wait and see. It could be an amazing situation if you had everybody bringing charges 
And then I don't know where there will even be, as it was said, the oxygen to focus on Trump's run for office because he'll be and his lawyers will be pretty busy dealing with these legal cases. We are getting your reactions to the indictment of Donald Trump, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Lucas in San Jose. Hi, Lucas. You're on. Yes, I understand that uh, New York has some special rules regarding statute of limitations uh, for residents and non-residents, and uh, things were extended because of COVID. So uh, are there concerns about how long it'll take to resolve those issues, or is that mm-hmm. not, not a, a problem? I'm mistaken about that. Did, uh, thanks, Lucas. Did statute of limitations play a role in this, you think, uh, Lori Levinson? It actually is an interesting issue. New York has some what we call tolling statutes. You know, Trump left the state, and that tolls the statute of limitations. Things were shut down during COVID. That tolls the statute of limitations. Undoubtedly, one of the major pretrial motions that will be brought by the Trump camp is to challenge whether these indictment is timely. But we do have, at least in New York, those type of tolling provisions on the book. He may bring it either under the statute or he may try to bring some type of uh, constitutional argument about a speedy trial violation or a due process violation because of the pre-indictment delay. Well, Paul writes, prediction, the crowd cheering for the indictment will be far bigger than the crowd than the Trump supporters in New York City. I bet the Trump turnout is laughable. Mike, there have been some I've been reading a lot of analysis analyses, and and there have been some who have said that there is while this will create a galvanizing effect for Trump, it, it might not be long enough lived, at least not long lived enough in California for the presidential primary here, which will be more important than normal because of the moved up date and the need for Trump to secure the many, many uh, uh, electoral votes that we have. I guess the question I have for you is how you think that will play out here. You have talked a lot about how Trump over time, this, the circus around him, the issues around him have turned off, say, you know, women voters, for example, Republican women voters and so on. Yeah, that's a, it's a really great question. And keep in mind, this is likely the first of a long array of legal trouble that uh, the former president is going to find himself in. I'm sure there are going to be other indictments from Georgia and uh, you know Washington D.C. coming out in, in relatively short order. Uh, the question is going to be how long can the base sustain itself? And we have to go back and remind ourselves that Donald Trump in 2016 said quite accurately, "I could stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose a base, my base support." And 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 that has proven correct as a political professional. At this point in the election, you should not be looking for the upside of a candidate. You should be looking at the resiliency and the strength of their base. And as much as Donald Trump's numbers have weakened a little bit, he has never dropped below a mid-30s support level, which is extraordinarily strong for a former president looking to come back to run uh, for office in either party. And we also have to remember that almost all of the Republican parties in, in every state have what we call winner-take-all primaries. Donald Trump in 2016 won the Republican nomination by only securing 37% of of the support uh, in in the Republican primary. He was not getting over 50%. He wasn't even getting 40%. So it's entirely possible to win 
the Republican nomination with the base level of support that Donald Trump has always had since that time frame, especially if there's a multi-candidate field, which seems to be shaping up. So look, uh, you know, every race is different. Every race has its own dynamics, but the fundamentals in the Republican Party show that Donald Trump's base level of support is still remarkably resilient, remarkably strong. And I think every indication is it will get stronger over the course of the coming weeks, at least for this first round of legal indictments. And there's little evidence to suggest that anything is going to shake off that support because nothing to this point has. We've gone through insurrections. We've gone through pandemics. We've gone through economic meltdowns. Uh, none of that has shaken that base level of support. I can't imagine for the life of me why uh, these 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 legal problems, which will be framed as his political opponents attacking him, will make a dent in that base level of support either. Well, let me see if I can squeeze Jim and Concord in for a last thought. Jim, thanks. You're on. Hi. So really, really interesting times. I'm I'm an attorney and I practice criminal law for years. I do family law right now, but I think that I don't care if Trump is guilty or not guilty. What I see is that this is an incredible moment where the United States of America, a young democracy, is moving forward. In order to move forward, you have to show the people that everyone is equal. And this gentleman... President, ex-President Trump is a citizen. He's being held accountable. And I'm just very proud of this nation. And can you imagine the the international reaction to this, especially in these times of of of, of rising dictatorships? This is an amazing moment. Well, Jim, I'm going to leave it there. And thank you and Lori Levinson for coming on, professor of law at Loyola Law School, Mike Madrid, Republican strategist and partner at Grassroots Lab, and Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent for USA Today. Thank you for sharing your insights and helping us in this space of trying to process everything that is going on. My thanks as well to Susie Britton and Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. Lakshmi Sarah, Marlena Jackson-Rotondo, as well as Danny Bringer, Brennan Willard, Jim Bennett, Lulu Ralda, Jericho Reinender, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. They all make up the team that brings you Forum. Have a good weekend, listeners. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.